Chapter eighteen of the Fortunate Foundlings by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter eighteen King Stanislaus quits Alrenstadt to appease the troubles in Poland. Charles the twelfth gives laws to the empire. A courier arrives from Paris. Horatio receives letters which give him great surprise augustus being able to obtain no better conditions from the king of sweden than leave to return to his almost ruined electorate took leave of his conqueror with an almost broken heart intelligence soon after arriving that poland was half demolished by the violence of different factions who in the absence of both their kings contended with equal fury for the sovereign power stanislaus took an affectionate farewell of his dear friend and patron and went to appease the troubles of that kingdom and make himself peaceably acknowledged for what he was their lawful king not only by election but by the gift of the conqueror charles the twelfth of sweden he was attended by ten thousand swedish horse and twice the number of foot in order to make good his claim against any of his rebellious subjects charles having now accomplished all he could desire in relation to the polish affairs began to grow weary of the idle life he led at alrenstadt and was thinking which way he should turn his arms he had been used ill by the czar who as has been before observed plotted his destruction while a minor and began hostilities when he thought him not in a condition to defend himself much less to make any reprisals his resentment therefore against him was no less implacable than it had been against augustus but the emperor had also disobliged him count zobor the chamberlain had taken very indecent and unbecoming liberties with his character in the presence of his own ambassador at vienna and that court had given shelter to fifteen hundred muscovites who having escaped his arms fled thither for protection as he was now so near he therefore thought best to call the emperor first to account and then proceed to attack the czar to this end he sent to demand count zobor and the fifteen hundred moscovites should be given into his hands the timid emperor complied with the first and sent his chamberlain to be punished as the king thought fit but it was not in his power to acquiesce with the other the roman envoy then at vienna having intelligence of it provided for their escape by different routes the king of sweden then sent a second mandate requiring protection for all the lutherans throughout germany particularly in silesia and that they should be restored to all the liberties and privileges established by the treaty of westphalia the emperor who would have yielded anything to get the king of sweden out of his neighbourhood granted even this disobliging as it was to the pope and his own catholic subjects and having ratified these concessions the king vouchsafed to let his chamberlain return without any other punishment than imprisonment so long as these affairs remained in agitation having thus given laws to germany and terror to the emperor he resolved to turn where he might expect more opposition and accordingly he ordered count piper to acquaint the officers that they must now begin to think of preparing for a march in the meantime ambassadors from all the courts of europe were sent to his camp most of them being apprehensive that they should be the next who felt the terror of his arms but those who had nothing of this kind to dread and more really his friends 
made use of all the arguments in their power to prevail on him to return to Stockholm. France, in particular, sent courier after courier, remonstrating to him that his glory was complete, that he had already exceeded Alexander, and should now return, covered as he was with laurels, and let his subjects enjoy the blessing of his presence. The court of Saint-Germain added their entreaties to that of Versailles, but each were equally ineffectual. Nor could even the thoughts of the beautiful Princess Louisa, his betrothed spouse, and whom he was to marry at the end of this war, put a stop to the vehemence of his impatience to revenge the many injuries he had received from the Tsar of Muscovy. These were the sentiments by which this conquering monarch was agitated, but Horatio, though no less fond of glory, had a softness in his nature which made him languish for the sight of his dear Charlotta, whom he had been absent from near two years, and being now blessed with a fortune from the plunder of Saxony, which might countenance his pretensions to her, passionately longed for an opportunity of returning without incurring the censure of cowardice or ingratitude. By these couriers he received letters from the Baron de la Valliere and several others of his friends, but none from the father of Charlotta, nor did any of them make mention of that lady, though he knew the passion he had for her was now no secret to any of them. He was very much surprised that the Baron de Palfoy had not wrote, because as he had in a manner promised to correspond with him by desiring him to write, he had a right to expect that favour when they came to Alrenstadt, for till then it was scarce possible by reason of the army's continual and uncertain motions. But he was much more so that the Baron de la Valliere had not been so good as to give him some information of an affair of which he could not be insensible his peace so much depended. That he did not do it, he therefore presently concluded, was owing to his having nothing pleasing to acquaint him with. As love is always apprehensive of the worst that can possibly befall, he thought now of nothing but her being obliged to give her hand to some rival approved by her father. What avails it, cried he, that fortune has raised me to an equality with her, if by other means I am deprived of her? He was beginning to give way to a despair little befitting a soldier, when another courier arriving from Versailles with dispatches to the king, he also received a packet in which were three letters. The first he cast his eye upon had on it the characters of Charlotta. Amazed and transported, he hastily broke the seal and found it contained these lines. To Colonel Horatio, Sir, I have the permission of my father to pursue my inclinations. In giving you this testimony, how sincerely I congratulate your good fortune, though I ought not to call it by that name, since I find everybody allows your rewards have not exceeded your merits, but as neither has been found deficient, either for your ambition or the satisfaction of your friends, all who are truly such think you ought to be content and run no future hazards. Be assured you have many well-wishers here, among the number of which you will not be guilty of great injustice not to place Charlotte de Palfoy. How well were all the late anxieties he had endured atoned for by this billet, it was short indeed and wrote with a more distant air than he might have expected had the dear authoress been at liberty to pursue the dictates of her heart but as it informed him it was permitted by her father 
and was doubtless under his inspection the knowledge that he had authorised her to write at all was more flattering to his hopes of happiness than all she could have said without that sanction after having indulged the raptures this condescension excited he proceeded to the rest and found the next he opened was from the baron de palfoy who expressed himself to him in these terms to colonel horatio i think myself obliged to you for so much exceeding the character i gave you but i value myself on knowing mankind and am glad to find i was not deceived in you when i expected you to do more than i durst venture on my own opinion to assure the count he tells me in a letter i received from him the last courier that the victorious charles the twelfth himself cannot behave with greater bravery in the time of action nor more moderation after it is over this is great praise indeed from such a man as he and i acquaint you with it not to make you vain for that would blemish the lustre of your other good qualities but that you may know how to make proper acknowledgments to that minister our court i know makes pressing influences to the king of sweden not to carry on the way any farther i wish they may succeed or if they should not that you might be able to find some opportunity of quitting the service for reasons which you will see in a letter that accompanies this and to which nothing can be added to convince you what part you ought to take i shall therefore say no more than that i am with a very tender regard yours palfoy rejoiced as he was at receiving a letter from the father of his mistress wrote in a manner which he might look upon as a kind of confirmation he no longer would be refractory to his wishes the latter part of it contained an enigma he could by no means comprehend it seemed impossible to him there could be any reasons prevalent enough to make him quit with honour a prince who had so liberally rewarded his service but hoping a further explanation he lost not any time in conjectures and tearing open the other letter without giving himself time to examine the hand in which it was directed found to his inexpressible astonishment the name of dorilaus subscribed it was indeed wrote by that gentleman and contained as follows dear horatio accidents which at our parting neither of us could foresee have doubtless long since made you cease to hope any continuance of that kindness my former behaviour seemed to promise but never perhaps did heaven deal its blessings with a more mysterious hand than it has done to you that seeming neglect in me at a time when you were a prisoner among strangers and had most need of my assistance had the appearance of the greatest misfortune could befall you yet has it been productive of the greatest good and laid the foundation of a happiness which cannot be but lasting i reserve the explanation of this riddle till you arrive at paris where i now am and intend to continue my whole life that i impatiently desire to see you ought to be a sufficient inducement for you to return with as much expedition as possible i will therefore make this experiment of that affection i might add duty you owe me and only give you leave to guess what recompense this proof of your obedience will entitle you to if therefore the king of sweden is resolute to extend his conquests entreat his permission to resign i know the obligations you have to that excellent prince but i know also you have others to me which cannot be dispensed with besides his majesty's affairs cannot suffer by the loss of one man yours will be in danger if not totally ruined 
by your continuance with him and myself deprived at the same time of the only remaining comfort of my days your sister left me soon after you did she went to a la chapelle since which i have never been able to hear anything of her let me not lose you both if you have any regard for your own interest or the peace of him whom you have ever found a father in his care and affection and whom you will now find so more than you can possibly expect dorilaeus impossible it is to conceive without being in the very circumstances horatio was what strange variety of mingled passions agitated his breast on having read and considered these letters to find such unhoped condescension from the baron de palfoy and that dorilaeus was still living and had the same if not more tender inclinations for him than ever the latter of which he had long since ceased to hope was sufficient to have overwhelmed even the most phlegmatic person with an excess of joy but then the dark expressions in both these letters put his brain on the rack the baron had seemed to refer to an explanation of what he darkly hinted at in the letter of dorilaeus but that he found rather more obsolete he could imagine nothing farther than that dorilaeus having resolved to make him his heir as he remembered some people said before he left england on the knowledge of that intelligence the baron de palfoy had consented to his marriage with mademoiselle charlotta and this her being permitted to write to him confirmed this indeed was the supreme aim of his desires and this it was that made him quit saint-germain in hope of raising himself to a condition which might enable her to own her affection to him without a blush but transporting as this idea was it was mingled with disquiet to reflect on the terms which both the baron and dorilaeus seemed to insist on for the accomplishment of his wishes though he impatiently longed to see dorilaeus after so long an absence though in the possession of charlotta all his hopes were centred yet to leave a prince who had so highly favoured him and under whose banners he had gained so much consideration was a piece of ingratitude which it was worse than death for him to be guilty of no said he it would be to render me unworthy of all the blessings they make me hope should i purchase them on such conditions how can they demand them of me the baron charlotta and dorilaeus have all of them the highest notions of honour generosity and gratitude and can they approve that in me which i am certain they would not be guilty of themselves sure it is but to try me they seem to exact what they are sensible i cannot yield to without the breach of everything that can entitle me to esteem or love thus did he argue within himself for one moment the next other reasons directly opposite to these presented themselves dorilaeus cried he demands all my obedience all my gratitude without protection i had been an outcast in the world whatever honours whatever happiness i enjoy is it not to him i owe them can i refuse then to comply with commands which he says are necessary to his peace besides was it not charlotta that inspired this ardour in me for great actions was not the possession of that charming maid the sole end i proposed to myself in all i have undertaken and shall i by refusing her request madly run the risk of losing her for ever does not she wish her father persuade and dorilaeus enjoin me to return does not love friendship duty call me to partake the joys that each affords 
and shall i refuse the tender invitation no the world cannot condemn me for following motives such as these and even the royal charles himself is too generous not to acquit me of ingratitude or cowardice it must indeed be confessed he had potent inducements for his return to paris to combat against those of continuing in the king of sweden's service and both by turns appeared so prevalent that it is uncertain which would have got the better had not an accident happened which unhappily determined him in favour of the latter colonel poniatowski who had attended stanislaus into poland now the disturbances of that kingdom were quieted on hearing the king of sweden was on some new expedition obtained leave of stanislaus to return to the camp and implored his majesty's permission to be one of those who should partake the glorious toils he was now re-entering into to which he replied that he should be glad to have him near his person but feared he would be wanted in poland no may it please your majesty resumed poniatowski there seems to be no longer any business in that kingdom for a soldier all seem ready to obey the royal stanislas out of affection to his person and admiration of those virtues they are now perfectly convinced of nor is augustus in a condition to violate the treaty of resignation refuse me not therefore i beseech your majesty continued he falling upon both his knees what i look on as my greatest happiness as it is my greatest glory the king seemed very well pleased at the emphasis with which he expressed himself and having raised him from the posture he was in be it so cried he henceforward we will be inseparable horatio was charmed with this testimony of love and zeal in a person who had doubtless friends and kindred who would have been glad he had less attachment to a service so full of dangers as that of the king of sweden and somewhat ashamed he had ever entertained a thought of quitting it resolved as he had been more obliged not to show less gratitude than poniatowski therefore without any further deliberation retired to his quarters and prepared the following answers to the letters he had been brought as all things in a lover's heart yields to the darling object the first he wrote was to his mistress to mademoiselle de palfoy with what transports i received yours adorable charlotta i am little able to express to find i am not forgotten that what i have done is approved by her for whom alone i live and whose praise alone can make me vain so swallowed up all other considerations that it had almost made me quit Arnstadt that moment and fly to pour beneath your feet my gratitude and joy but glory tyrannic glory would not suffer me to obey the soft impulse nor re-enjoy that blessing till conscious i deserved it better my friends overrate my services and though that partial indulgence is the ultimate of my ambition i would dare not abuse what they are so good to offer to feast my long long famished sight with gazing once more upon your charms i would forego everything but the hope of rendering myself one day more worthy of it too dear i prize the good wishes you vouchsafe to have for me not to attempt everything in my power to prevent the disappointment of them the little i have yet done alas serves but to prove how much the man who has in view rendering himself acceptable to the divine charlotta dares to do 
when dangers worthy of his courage present themselves a small time may perhaps afford me an opportunity yet did you know how dear this self-denial costs me you would confess it the greatest proof of affection ever man gave permit me therefore to gratify an ambition which has no other aim than a justification of the favours i receive continue to look with a favourable eye on my endeavours and they cannot then fail of such success as may give me a claim to the glorious title of my most adored and loved charlotta's everlasting slave horatio to her father he wrote in the following manner to the baron de palfoy my lord the favours your goodness confers upon me are such as can be equalled by but one thing in the world and that is my just and grateful sense of them charming would be the toils of war did all employed in them meet a recompense like mine is there a man so mean so poor in spirit that praises such as i receive might not animate to actions worthy of them what acknowledgments can i make the count suitable to the immense obligations i owe him for inspiring your lordship with sentiments which though the supreme wish of my aspiring soul i never durst allow myself to hope and which afford a prospect of future accumulated blessings such as i could scarce flatter myself with being real were not the transporting idea in some measure confirmed to me by your having given a sanction to a correspondence i so lately despaired of ever obtaining blessed change ecstatic condescensions fortune has done all she can for me and anticipated all the good that after a long train of services and approved fidelity i scarce should have presumed to hope oh my lord i have no words to thank you as i ought it is deeds alone and rendering myself worthy of your indulgence that must preserve your good opinion and keep you from repenting having overwhelmed me with this profusion of happiness yet how joyfully could i now pursue the route to paris and content myself with owing everything merely to your goodness were i not withheld by all the considerations that ought to have weight with a man of honour my royal general is inflexible to the persuasions of almost all the courts in christendom and hurried by his thirst of fame or some other more latent motive has given orders to prepare for a march where or against whom is yet a secret to the army but by the preparations for it we believe they are not short journeys we are to take should i now quit a service where i have been promoted so much beyond my merit what my lord but cowardice or ingratitude could be imputed to me as the motive not all my reasons powerful as they are would have any weight with a prince who is deaf to everything but the calls of glory and i must return loaden with his displeasure and the reproaches of all i leave behind now to return is certain infamy to go is in pursuit of honour your lordship will not therefore be surprised i make choice of the latter since no hazard can be equal to that of forfeiting the little reputation i have acquired and which alone can render me worthy of any part of the favours i have received i am with the extremest respect and submission your lordship's eternally devoted servant horatio the last and most difficult task he had to go through was the refusal he must give to dorilaus who had laid his commands on him in such express terms and it was not without a good deal of blotting altering and re-altering he at length formed an epistle to him in these terms 
to my more than father my only patron protector and benefactor the most worthy dorilaus my dear and most ever honoured sir to hear that you are living and still remember me with kindness affords too great a transport to suffer me to throw away any thought either on the motives of your long silence or that happiness which you tell me i may expect has been the produce of it it is sufficient for me to know i am still blessed in the favour of the most excellent person that ever lived and i am not in the least anxious for an explanation of any further good to tell you with how much ardency i long to throw myself at your feet to relate to you all the various accidents that have befallen me since first you condescended to put me in the path of glory and to pour out my soul before you with thanksgiving would be as impossible as it is for me at present to enjoy that blessing the king's affairs it is true would suffer nothing by my absence but sir what would the world say of me if after a whole year of inactivity and idleness i flew on the first appearance of danger and forsook a prince by whom i have been so highly favoured instead of the character i have always been ambitious of attaining should i not be branded with everlasting infamy put not therefore i beseech you to so severe a test that love and duty to which you cannot have a greater claim than i a readiness to pay did you command my life it is yours i owe it to you and with it all that can render it agreeable but sir my honour my reputation must survive when i am no more it was the first and will be the last bent of my desires no perils can come in any degree of competition with those of being deprived of that nor any indulgencies of fortune compensate for the loss of it pardon then this enforced disobedience and believe it is the only thing in which i could be guilty of it i very much lament my sister's absence as i find by yours she went without your permission time and reflection will doubtless bring her to a more just sense of what she as well as myself ought to have of your goodness to us and make her return full of sincere contrition for having offended you i should implore your favourable opinion of her actions in the meantime were not all the interest i have in you too little to apologise for my own behaviour all sir i dare to implore is pardon for myself and that you will be assured no son no dependent whatever would more rejoice in an opportunity of testifying his duty affection gratitude and submission than him who is now constrained by ties which i flatter myself you will not hereafter disapprove to swerve in some measure from them and whose soul and all the faculties of it are eternally devoted to you horatio these dispatches being sent away he became more composed and set his whole mind on his departure and taking leave of those friends and acquaintance he had contracted at leipzig and Alranstadt. the time of the army marching being fixed in a few days though what route they were to take none except count piper general renchild count horn and some few others of the cabinet council were made privy to End of chapter 18